second, uh, First Timothy chapter number three, and um, these these thirteen verses that were read this morning, we're going to unpack these a little bit, unfold these. I want to I want to take a different perspective on them a little bit this morning. A lot of times we look at these passages of scripture. And if you're not an elder or a deacon, you just kind of close your mind. It's kind of like, okay, shut down mode. I'm not an elder. I'm not a deacon. I'm not aspiring to be an elder or a deacon. So I can just shut these, you know, these scriptures were not written for me. Um, All scriptures are for us. Amen. There's something to be learned from every passage of scripture for every individual who is walking with the Lord. Uh, And this this scriptural passage is, is no different. We can learn a great deal from this passage of scripture. The, the title of my message this morning is Help for the Battle. And we learned in chapter number one that the aim of 1 Timothy is love. And that we love the unlovable, that we um, love those who are not easy to love. That we not only love them, but we serve them. And we serve those, the uh, Bible says in, in James chapter number one, that true religion and undefiled is to serve those or visit those uh, widows and, and orphans or, or visit those who are, are helpless and hopeless or visit those who have struggles and difficulties in life that, that need someone to come alongside of them and help them. And that's what our responsibility is and that's what our calling is. Now, that being said, it's difficult, isn't it? It's a difficult challenge for Christians. It's a difficult challenge for humanity to love people that are unlovable or unloving To love difficult people is a difficult task. And Paul talks to Timothy and he calls it a war. He calls it a conflict. He calls it a battle. He says, war, a good warfare, Timothy. So so he doesn't deal with this in a a light way. He, 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 He recognizes that this is a difficult thing. And it's no less difficult today than it was back in those days. To love the unlovable and to serve those who are undeserving or undesirable is a war. It is a war for humility. It is a war for contentment. It is a war for selflessness. It is a war for forgiveness. It is a war for kindness. And it is a war against pride, a war against greed, a war against selfishness, anger, bitterness, and revenge. This is the war that every Christian fights every single day of our lives as we deal with people and circumstances that we deem difficult. And the scriptures don't see them any less difficult. The apostle Paul says in Ephesians 4, verse one through three, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bonds of peace. This is the war that we're fighting for. This is chapter number one lays this out for us. We know that Jesus Christ is the epitome of this. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter number five that Jesus Christ came and verse number six, for while we were still weak and and Colton made a reference to it when he was singing, while we were still weak, while we were helpless and hopeless, while we, we um, we had no one to come along beside us, we had no one to help us, there was no one there to bring deliverance or salvation to us. 
It was in that time, the Bible says, at the right time that Jesus Christ came and died for the ungodly. We must always remember this. Jesus Christ did not come to serve the godly. Jesus Christ did not come to die for the righteous. Jesus Christ came to die for the ungodly and to serve the unrighteous. And this is what he has called us to. A life of sacrifice, a life of selflessness is what we have been called to. The Bible says, for one will scarcely die for a righteous man. Though perhaps for a good man, one would even dare to die. The emphasis of these verses is, if Jesus Christ would have died as a daredevil, or if Jesus Christ would have died for somebody who was good, it would have been understandable. But Jesus Christ didn't die as a daredevil, nor did he die for those who were good. He died for those who were unrighteous. But God, he says, in verse eight, showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners, while we were still unworthy, while we were still undeserving, while we were still undesirable, while we were still hopeless, while we were still helpless, Jesus Christ died for us. That is the essence, that is the foundation of our salvation. That is what we wake up in the morning and we believe and we hope in. That is what makes us walk throughout difficult days around difficult people. But not only is that the essence of our salvation, but folks, that is the calling of our lives. That is the ministry that we have been called to. We have been called not just to be beneficiaries of what Jesus Christ has done for us, but we are called to be examples of it. We are called to manifest it, to live it out in the world around us so that the gospel that Jesus Christ has bestowed upon us in his grace and in his mercy, we help bestow it upon other people. In spite of whether or not Jesus Christ chooses to resurrect them spiritually, our calling is not to do his work in the sense of saving them, our calling is to be an example of his work as the result of him saving us. That's what we're called to do. Chapter number two tells us how we're to do this. He says we begin by praying for people. We pray for those who are unworthy. We pray for those who are hurting us so that we might live a quiet and peaceful life. And then the Bible says at the end of that chapter that we serve people that we live for people, that we do things for. We do things in order to maintain that peace and that, and that harmony in the world that we live in. We live, in other words, that's the, 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 the main emphasis of uh, verse one through seven is, is pray for people. And then verse eight to the end, the main emphasis is live for people. Live your life in such a way that you are always sacrificing for the sake of other people and most importantly, that you're always sacrificing for the sake of the gospel. It is sad, folks, how many things that we do in our daily lives that actually hinder us from being able to preach the gospel to people. And we don't think about that we're, we don't think about that we're hindering the gospel. We just, we're just doing it because we're just doing it. Our life is not built around a, a focus on everything that I do is, is going to be impacting the gospel or my ability to minister the gospel to somebody. 
We, we burn bridges instead of building them. We must set our hearts on serving others, praying for others, blessing others, helping others. If we thought the Christian life was going to be easy and about us, we were wrong. The Christian life is difficult. It's not easy. It's not easy to serve the Lord. It's not easy to do the right thing in very difficult circumstances and situations, oftentimes associated with very difficult people. But it is what we're called to do. The Christian life is difficult, and it's not about us. The Christian life is not about us. The Christian life is about him. That's who we're here for. That's why he left us to be here. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter number nine, a man comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I will follow you wherever I go. Do you know what Jesus' response to him is? He says, birds have nests to go to, but I have nowhere to lay my head. He goes through a, a, a few verses. Of, just, just turn there with me if you would. We'll, we'll read them in Luke chapter number nine. Here's how Jesus responds to somebody who wants to be a, a follower, who, wants to, who says, Lord, I'll follow, where, I'll follow you wherever you want me to go. Here's how he responds. Verse 57, and they were going along the road and someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And you can just kind of sense the excitement, right? The energy there. There, there, is this, there is all of this excitement going on, miracles and healings and Lord, I'll follow you wherever you want me to go. And then the Lord says to this man, and Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me, but he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father and I proclaim, um, and, 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 and let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of heaven. Yet another one said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first go say farewell to those who are at my house. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. You see, the Christian life is not easy. It's difficult. And in each one of these cases, what you have is you have an individual who was quote unquote willing to follow the Lord as long as the Lord was willing to take second place in his life. As long as the Lord was willing to be secondary, he would follow the Lord wherever he wanted him to go. And the Lord says, this is following the Lord is not about the Lord being secondary, it's about the Lord being primary. And anything in your life, remember this, anything in your life that comes between you and following the Lord has become primary. And that thing and the Lord has become secondary. Following the Lord is not easy, it's difficult, it's a battle, it's a war. Loving people, serving people, um, living your life for the benefits and the blessings of other people, Wake, waking up in the morning, as the previous text says, and getting dressed so that you can bless other people, putting things on to bless other people. It, it goes down to even that low of a level, that simple of a level to where that you get dressed and you eat and you drink and you do all of these things so that you might do them for the glory of God first and foremost, but also that you might be a blessing and not a hindrance to other people. 
Even the Apostle Paul throughout other passages of scriptures talks about not eating meat offered to idols, not doing things that were perfectly legal for him to do, but not doing those things because he knew that they were gonna be a hurt to somebody else. This is somebody whose life was devoted and dedicated to the work of God and and never wanted to be even the slightest of hindrance to God's work going forward. So he lived his life for others. This is what we're called to. This is what chapter number two calls us to. Now, chapter number three, the passage that, again, many times we, we, we throw out and we say, well, that's for the elders and that's for the deacons. It's not for us. Listen, it is for us. Here's what, here's what the Lord is saying. In, in this battle that we have, in this war that we're facing, in this difficult time that we are being called to love and serve people, and we're battling to love and serve people, here's what the Lord is saying. He is saying, I have set people among you to be an example to you of what it means to love and serve people. And he gave these people titles, the title of elder and the title of deacon. We installed Eric this morning as a deacon. These guys are giving the, given these titles because they are given the calling to be an example of what it looks like to live a Christian life. That's what the deacons and the elders are for. They're to show forth what it means, what it looks like to love people and to serve people. They're to be the experts in these things. They're to be totally committed and sold out in their life to loving and serving people. That's what this is here for. So so ultimately what the Apostle Paul is saying to Timothy is he's saying these are the kind of men that you want to put in leadership and he's saying to the church, these are the types of people that you need to follow. Anyone who believes that we're gonna make it through this life as a Christian and not have some help from another brother in Christ doesn't understand the battle that we're in. You're gonna need someone to come alongside of you. You're going to need someone to help you. You're going to need someone to encourage you. You're going to need someone to love you. You're going to need someone to correct you. You're going to need somebody along life's journey to do these things. And that is what the Apostle Paul is saying in this passage of Scripture, is these are the people that you need to be committed, you need to be following, you need to be finding someone to mentor you through these difficult things. I think sometimes we make these two, we make these two offices about, number one, the building that we're in, and number two, the politics that goes on in the church. The elders and the deacons spend all of their time figuring out how do we deal with the politics in the church and how do we deal with the buildings in the church. That really ultimately, folks, is not their calling. What we're called to do is we're called to walk with you. We're called to walk with you through life's difficulties through difficult people and difficult circumstances, and we're called to show you what it looks like to get through it right. Listen to these passages of Scripture. You're familiar with them. He tells us in um, 1 Peter chapter number 5, verses 1 through 3. I'm gonna, you can turn there with me. Join me if you'd like to. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 5. 
He says in verse number one, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow, el fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, which the word shepherd there um, is translated in other versions, feed. And the idea is, is teach, instruct, um, uh, transfer wisdom, if you will. And then it says exercising oversight and exercising oversight is just overseeing. Um, not a, not the, the, it's a direct, this, this phrase is directly connected to, Rome, uh, to Acts chapter number 20. And in Acts chapter number 20, the, the, um, the elders are called to exercise oversight of the church and for this very specific purpose, okay? This is one of the oversights of the elders is to, that there be no wolves that come into the church. That's the oversight the elders bring, that there be no wolves that come into the church, we're constantly guarding against wolves, right? That's what a shepherd does. They make sure that there's no wolves that come into the flock. When they see a wolf, they deal with that wolf, okay? But go on with me. He says, shepherd the flock which is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not, with, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but here's the phrase that tells us exactly how the elders accomplish this task. By being, what's the next word? By being examples to the flock. In other words, the apostle Paul says in, in um, 1 Corinthians 11, in verse number one, he says, follow me or imitate me as I imitate Christ. Here's what the Apostle Paul is saying is, is that I'm going to be an example to you of what it looks like to live the Christian life. We need people like that. The church, church you, you, you need people like that. You need people that you can look to and you can say, I know that that person is going to lead me to Jesus. And not salvifically necessarily, or not just for salvation, but, but what about the things that you're dealing with in your daily life? Do you have somebody that you know in that moment of frustration, in that moment of discouragement, in that moment of depression? Do you have somebody that you know that you can go to and they're going to point you directly to Jesus and they're gonna help you win in that situation? That's what he's dealing with here. He's dealing with people who are mentors. And in this case, in the church, he has set aside some men specifically and given, the, given them the title of elders to, to constantly be living out amongst the church body what it looks like to live a, a Christian's life. In, in other words, here's what the Apostle Paul is saying. The last two chapters, the last, two, the last chapter was difficult for the people, so I'm gonna put a group of men, leaders in the church that's, that are going to be examples of what it means to pray for people that are not deserving of it, right? And a group of men who are gonna serve people who are not deserving of being served. And you, church, watch them. You watch them as your mentors. You watch them as people who will point you to Jesus. We need that. We, each and every one of us needs that mentor, that example in front of us. The apostle Paul, when talking to Timothy about leadership in the church, he said, in verse, chapter four and verse 12 of the same book, he says, let no one despise you for your youth. Timothy was a young man, but he says, but set for believers and, what's the next word? An example. 
Set for the believers an example. In other words, live out. Timothy, you're young, but live out in front of people what it looks like to be a Christian. Live out an example to them. Ultimately, being a leader in the church is not necessarily about age. It's more about lifestyle. It's about example. It's about how we live. Are we an example to those around us of, of godliness? Are we example to those around us of love? Are we example to those around us of peace? Are we example to those around us of quiet spirit? Are we an example to those around us of serving others? This is what we're, this is what we're accomplishing as leaders in the church. And, and, and again, what I want to communicate to you this morning, I don't, we, I don't, this is not a message to, to elders. I know that, that we have some elders here, but this is not a message to elders. It's a message to us, the church body, on how and what we should look for in people to follow, who can mentor us, who can disciple us. Because ultimately, that's what Paul is telling Timothy. The church, l- l- let me say it this way. We've become really good at formalizing everything in the church, right? I mean, we wake up in the morning and we put on special clothes to come in here and and all of a sudden, very quickly, it becomes not like normal life. All of a sudden, we're living a certain way on Sunday mornings and living a whole different way throughout the week, right? Church is is supposed to be a a part of your life. It's it's the natural flow of your life. You don't just need Sunday morning. You, You need that whole, all week, be the same. And it's just, it's not like we wake up in the morning and we think, oh, do I go to church today or do I not go to church today? No, it's just the flow of my life. It's like, it's like we don't wake up in the morning on Monday morning and think, do I, go to, do I go to work? We just think of it as a natural flow of our life, right? And the only time we think of maybe not going to work is, oh man, I feel really sick today and I think I'm gonna take a sick day, right? We just think of it as a normal flow of life. We have so formalized the things of the church that it's not... It's not, it's not people's normal life. I don't play Christian on Sunday. I am a Christian. And every day of the week, I am a Christian. And I come here because I want to be here. I, I woke up this morning not thinking in my mind, should I go to church today or not go to church today? As a matter of fact, it didn't even cross my mind. I know I have to preach, so I have <laughs> some motivation for that being there, right? <laughs> but honestly... It, it, it is, and let me say this to you, it says a lot to our kids when we, when we debate whether to go to church or not. It says a lot to them. It's a, it's a great way of, it's a great way of either revealing to them how important church is or how much church should just be a normal flow of life or God should be, or it's in, also it can be a negative to that as well. So let me give you five or six things really um, through this text and um, uh, just give you some things to think about this morning. These, these are some things that, these are testimonies. The Apostle Paul tells Timothy, these are some testimonies of types of people that you should look for for leadership in the church, but, but also these are types of people that you should look for to mentor you. It's, it's interesting because a lot of times when we look for mentors, we look for people that are perhaps exciting or they are energetic or they are successful in the business world or, or whatever might be the case. We look for something that's carnal about them, right? 
We look for something that's kind of fleshly. I want you to think this morning with a spiritual mind that says, where am I going spiritually? Where am I going spiritually? And then can I find somebody in my world that can help me get there? Can I find somebody that is already there that is leading me in that direction? Ultimately, that's what the elders are are called to do. But, But in addition to that, that is what mentors, leaders are called to do as well. They're called to take us where we need to go because they've already been there. And they are, um, they are equipped to get us there. So let's go to, to uh, chapter number three and we're just gonna break it down a little bit. The Bible says this is a trustworthy saying. And in other words, if you, if you put the two, uh, the two passages together, um, the, the breaks, the chapter breaks are not ordained by God. They're, they're something that happened um, to give us some sense of division. Uh, they're not in the original manuscripts. They, they, they just help us to read the Bible. So if we put these things together, the apostle Paul is saying, hey, here's a trustworthy saying. Here's what I've just said. Pray for those who are unprayed for, live for others. And he says, this is a trustworthy saying. Here's something to think about in relation to what I've just told you. And it, and it is eldership, it is, it is mentorship, it is leadership, an example, being an example of what we've just heard about in the previous text. He says, if anyone aspires uh, to be uh, in the office of an overseer, he desires to be in a noble task. And then it's gonna go through some, what I will call qualifications for somebody being an, a leader in the church, but I also want to refer to these as qualities of people who we can see as mentors, okay? Qualities that we can see in people as mentors, things that we should look for when we are pursuing the Lord. So here we go. The first thing that he says is that an overseer must be above reproach, okay? So the personal first point, the personal testimony Does the person that you're following have a personal testimony of gospel, peace, and quiet, love, and service? Is that their testimony? The the idea of of being above reproach means that they're not always being, they're not uh, controversial people. They're not looking for a conflict. They're not always talking about things that are conflict-oriented, but their life is pretty much 100% committed to the gospel, They love the gospel, they're living for the gospel, they're living for people, and all of the things that are going on in this world, they say that that's not my motivation, that's not my purpose, that's not my ministry, I'm here for the gospel and for the gospel alone, and therefore, they are above reproach, okay? Things are not always being cast at them. We know, again, I said this last week, it's impossible to be 100% above reproach because people are gonna throw stones at you just because they because they can, right? Especially in the world that we live in. But the idea of it is, is this person is, is, has, a, has a, a personal testimony of being a loving servant of people who has got gospel peace and gospel quiet. The world doesn't, the world, the world's problems, the world's circumstances, the world's situation, the problems going on in our government, the problems going on in our politics, none of that stuff bothers this person because they are totally devoted to the, and the gospel, the gospel, the gospel overwhelms every earthly problem, right? 
Right? When we look at the gospel, it's like the Apostle Paul in uh, 2 Corinthians 4, when he looks to the gospel and he compares his life struggles to them, he calls them what? He calls them light and temporary. Did Paul have light and temporary problems? No. Okay, <laughs> just in case. Paul did not have light and temporary problems, but in light of the glory of God, which he says in that text, in light of the gospel, did Paul have light and temporary problems? Yes. Yes. So this is a type of person that you look to that has a peacefulness about them, a, a quietness, a, 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 a when, when, when all of the world is falling apart, this person has a, a, a level of gospel maturity that says it's okay, right? Is it okay? Is it okay? Is God sovereign? Is he in control of everything that takes place? Is it difficult to understand that when you're facing the most difficult circumstance or difficult people in your world? Absolutely. But you know what you need sometimes? You need to pick up the phone and say, you know something? Um, Carlos, I'm just gonna throw a name out. I'm really struggling today, but I know that God has equipped you. I've watched you. I've watched you face difficulties. I've watched you face difficulties. I've watched you face hard people. And I know you know how to get through it. What do I do? That's a mentor. That's somebody who can guide you through these difficult circumstances. That's what we're here for. Honestly, that's why he refers it specifically to elders. That's what the elders of the church are here for. We're here to help. The, the title of my message, Help for the, for the Battle. We're here to help. We like getting those calls. It's actually encouraging to hear and say somebody is struggling and they, and they, and they want help. That's encouraging to us. That's, why we're, that's, what we're, that's what we're called to do. It's like being asked to do something that you're called to do, right? It's exciting. We have to live. If you're, if you're pursuing eldership this morning, if you're pursuing leadership in the church, you have to have this personal testimony. And if you're just a person to lay in the church that doesn't, um, that doesn't have no aspirations for those things, you can look for these things in people and they can be a help to you. Follow someone who has a testimony of peace and quiet, love and service. Not somebody who is constantly being accused of things, in not, especially not in relationship to the gospel. There is a level of accusation that can come at, at the at the because of the gospel, and that's okay, right? If you're preaching the gospel and somebody, somebody brings up an accusation against you, that's, that's worth it, right? To suffer for Christ's sake, it's, it's an honor to suffer for Christ's sake. But if someone's mad at you because, um, I better be careful on this. I was gonna talk about the Giants not making the World Series, but I know that wouldn't have probably been like a, yeah, I'd probably get in trouble for that one. I think I already said it though, so, right? Seriously, that's not gospel. That has nothing to do with the gospel at all, right? These are minor things that we make major things, and the Lord says, that's not a, that's not a mentor. There's so much going on in our political world, Democrats and Republicans and, and independents and, and uh, people, and man, you can just go on and on, and you know something? None of that means anything to the gospel at all. And you can get caught up in that. 
You can get caught up in all of these things and your testimony can be seen, man, that person is just a solid Republican. Yeah. Great. <laughs> Tell me how that affects the gospel. How many Democrats are you gonna talk to this week about the gospel because you've come out as a solid Republican? <laughs> Honestly. It's, it's these types of things that are dangerous. We are gospel people. Amen? Amen? We're not here to fix the world. We're not here to make the Titanic a better place. We're not here to make the Titanic more comfortable. We're not here to make the Titanic more politically correct. We're here to get people into lifeboats because the Titanic is going down. True? true. Is that our testimony? That's the testimony of somebody who is a mentor that will take you where God wants you to go. Amen. That's what you look for. Do they have a personal testimony of gospel peace and quiet, love and service? Number two, do they have a relational testimony of gospel peace and quiet, love and service? What's the second thing that he says? That this man must be the husband of one wife. In other words, he's able to handle his relationship with his wife. This is a person who knows what it means to be a husband who is a gospel, peace, and quiet, love, and service husband. The Apostle Paul is simply saying this. Here is the very root of relationship. Here is the very root of love and service peace and quiet. It is the one relationship in your life that should have these things exploding out of them. Right? So you look for a husband who, and a wife who have gospel, peace, and quiet, love, and service. Their testimony is that. This is the person that you go home and he's like, man, I, I watched, I'll just use Carlos again. Hopefully Carlos is not here this morning, but did you see Carlos and his wife today? Did you see how much they love each other? Anybody in here ever say that about somebody? I know that there are people sitting in here, some of our older people, that when I go home, I talk to my wife about your love for your wife or your love for your husband. It's obvious. Listen, if we can't have gospel peace and quiet love and service in the most simple and basic of relationships, how in the world do we expect to have it in the world? Right? So what does he do? He says, at the root, go to the root basic relationship, your relationship with your wife or the relationship of the mentor that you have, their relationship with their wife. Relational testimony of gospel, peace, and quiet love and service. Then number three, he talks about a lifestyle testimony of gospel, peace, and quiet, love, and service. And I'm gonna go through these things. You'll have to, you'll have to look at them more in detail at home because I don't have time to get through them all. But he talks about being sober-minded, first of all. Um, the word means sober, vigilant, temperate. Um, the word means without wine. Uh, somebody who is a, a clear thinker. Somebody whose discernment is not, is not um, swayed by... Um, um, Somebody's discernment is not swayed by uh, uh, substances. Somebody who doesn't need substances to get through life. That's what he's dealing with here. Is their testimony is somebody that is, they're, they're sober-minded. They're, they're sober thinkers. When they, 
face difficulties, they turn to the Lord. That's gospel. That's the gospel. That's why the Lord says in, 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 in Ephesians 5, it says, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. The, the alternative to being drunk with wine and dealing with life through alcohol is to be dealing with life through the Holy Spirit. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying here. He actually uses this same general phrase. He uses it twice, this verse about not being a, a, um, somebody who is given to wine. And he goes on and later he says, not a drunkard. Somebody who is under the control of wine or, or intoxicating um, substances. We need to look for people who have this. This is the type of leader that we want. We don't want a leader or a, a mentor that you come to them and say, like, you know, I'm really struggling with my, I'm really struggling with my mate. You know, like, you know what? There's this drug on the street right now. It really helps. Is that, is that the kind of mentor we want? We want a mentor that says, you know something? There's the Savior. His name is Jesus Christ, and he's bigger than anybody, anybody's circumstances. And that's where you need to go. That's the type of mentor that we need. Somebody who has a personal testimony. Their lifestyle is a personal testimony of somebody who is given to dealing with their problems in a sound way, sound mind. Self-controlled is the next word that he used. It, it, the word means to carb or to curb someone's desires and impulses, uh, temperaments. They're not a slave to their flesh, their appetite, their desires, or their addictions. This is someone that we need to look to as a mentor. Philippians 3.19, the Bible talks about people who their end is destruction, their God is their belly, or their God is their appetite. Whatever their appetite is, that becomes their God. Or whatever they want, that becomes their God. Can, listen, can you honestly live your life in service for other people if your God is your appetite? It's impossible. It is 100% impossible to live my life sold out to other people when I am literally sold out to my own passions and my own desires. One of the things that destroys a lot of marriages today is that somebody is sold out to their own desires and not to the other person. It's true. Self-controlled. Respectable is another word. Um, the word here means orderly, well-arranged, modest, disciplined. Um, being a respectable person, this is the type of person that you look for for mentorship. Not a chaotic lifestyle. Function and order in their life. Number f uh, the next one is hospitality. Um, this word means the lover of hospitality, the lover of people. You want somebody who loves, if you're going to be led to loving people, do you think it's a good idea to follow somebody who loves people? If you're going to be led to serving people, do you think it's a good idea to follow somebody who serves people? That's the mentorship. Am, is who I'm following you know what's interesting? I, I, I think it's interesting that as the Apostle Paul lays out all of these things for eldership, there is little to be said about doctrine. Are you sound doctrine? And I think that being sound doctrine is very, very important to being an elder in the church, to being a mentor. But here's what he's saying is, is your life are you living out all of this doctrine that we have in our head doesn't make us leaders. All of the doctrine, you can fill your brain with the biggest and thickest and most 
deep books in the world and fill your mind with all this knowledge. But listen, folks, it doesn't make you a leader. What makes you a leader and a mentor is when you live out the things that are written in God's word. When what he says to us becomes a part of our life and people can look to us and say, you know what, I'm not looking for them to explain to me with their words what they know in their heads. I'm looking to them to exemplify for me what they know in their heads through their lifestyle. That's a, that's a mentor. We need people like that, that we look to when we say, I see in them something different. And it has nothing to do with what they know. It has everything to do with who they know. It's a different lifestyle, hospitable, lover of people. Somebody who is giving and hospitality carries with it the idea of people, bringing people into your home. Um, one of the spiritual gifts in Titus talks about hospitality in um, other in 1 Corinthians 12 and in, in, uh, in Romans 12, you have the idea as well in the spiritual gifts. We must be hospitable. If our life, remember this, if our life is going to be an example of the gospel, people must be able to see us in our most intimate places. And I don't mean that in an inappropriate way. I mean that in our homes. People need to be able to see us in our daily lives, in our walk. That is the example that we're going to be able to be to them. That's what hospitality does. It's like, you know what? Come in and see my life. Come in and see my world. Come in and see my home. Come in and see how I treat my wife outside of this building. Come in and see how I treat my kids. Come in and see how my kids treat me, right? Come and see my world because I wanna be an example of what it means to be a follower of Christ. He goes on, he says, not a drunkard, not somebody who is influenced by substances or intoxication. Proverbs 20 and verse one says, wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler. What was the text before this about? Not being in conflict, praying for people who you would be in conflict with, right? This is something that's gonna drive us into brawling. That's what the scripture says. Wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by these is not wise. Not violent or quarrelsome, the Bible says, but gentle. And in other words, it's not somebody who's looking for a fight, not somebody who's looking for an argument, not somebody who's looking to win a debate. It's not, that's not the mentality of a mentor. It's not the mentality of a leader. It's, Lord, let me get out in front. Let me show the way that people need to see to follow the Lord. This is our testimony. Not a lover of money, he says. Not somebody who is consumed by a desire for passion, for money, for possessions, for success, for the praise of men, for power. None of these things can be a focus of a mentor's world. He says in 1 Timothy 6.10, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Let's go on. Familial testimony of godly peace and quietness, love, and service. Pastor John, what do you mean by that? Simply, your family. Your family should be an example of what you're, you know, we go back to the basic relationship, husband and wife, what's the second basic relationship? It's your family. The second greatest example of a mentor is their family. 
And so the Apostle Paul goes on and says, your family must be in order. Your family must be in order. Why? I don't, my family's not in order, but I really feel God calling me to be a leader in the church. Okay, we've got the cart in front of the horse. Being a leader in the church means that you have led your family and now you're, God's taking your leading of your family to another level and he's giving you a bigger family to lead. He's giving you a bigger family to mentor. He's giving you a bigger family to disciple. It's not, I really want to do this, so I need to do this. It's it's God's taking what you have lived already. It's like we talked about with Eric this morning. It's you've lived it. You've proven it with your wife. You've proven it with your children. And now God says, I'm going to show it to everybody. I'm gonna give them the gift of what you have experienced That's the idea of being an example. If God hasn't given you that gift, don't don't sorrow over that. Live for the Lord in whatever capacity he's given you. But don't excuse the fact that God has put a, a, a directive in here to say, hey, here's what we should look for. Here's what we should be. If you're having family struggles, listen, if you're having family difficulty, find a family who has done it. You know, been there, done that, got the t-shirt. It's like, well, they, they make me feel so bad. I feel condemned by them because they've, they've got it all together and my kids have gone astray. Listen, put your pride aside and go and ask for help. They might help you with your kids so that they end up in the right place. Is it better to put our pride aside and get help so our kids can go in the right direction or to remain prideful and let our kids continue to go down the wrong path? Right? We look for mentors, for people who have been there. They have proven their discipleship abilities. They have proven their ability to mentor because they began with with these little children. Now they're sitting in this congregation and some of them are not being used at all. The family, the family is a testimony of gospel peace and quietness, love and service, or it's not. Then, next of all, proven testimony. He says, not a novice. In other words, not a young believer. And Paul tells Timothy about the deacons. He says, somebody who has been tested or been tried. This is not somebody that uh, is, is new to this, to Christianity or new. It's somebody who has who has been through the rat race, if you will, and it has proven that they can get through it and they can do it well. And then the last thing this morning is the outsider's testimony. It's the people around us, it's the people outside of this building. What do they think about us? What do they think about you? What do they think about you at your work? What do they think about you at your, um, at your clubs that you're involved in or whatever. What do they think about you there? What is your example there? Because that's a big part of your ability to mentor. Your ability to lead. What do people think about us outside of these walls? Their impression of us, is it oppression of somebody who is gospel peace and quiet or some, and somebody who is loving and full of service or is it not? In closing, my challenge to you this morning is simply this. You need a mentor. Everybody that sits in this group needs a mentor. We all need somebody. Ephesians 4 and verse 11 and 12 talks about there are some who are set apart to disciple um, others. 
for the edifying of the body of Christ. There are some that are set apart for discipling other people. We all need somebody like that. No, no one in here has arrived, okay? We need somebody to mentor, to disciple us. We need to find that person. You need to identify where areas that you're struggling and look to find somebody that can help you. The elders of this church has been, have been placed in here to, to perform that role. You can look to us. We may say to you, hey, you know, here's a family in the church that has been there. Talk to them. They might be able to give you some help and counsel because we don't have all the answers, right? That's not what the, that, we don't have all the answers, but we have some direction and we can give you that direction. So my challenge to you guys this morning is as you face this call to love people and to serve people with all your heart for the sake of the gospel, that you will never be an interference on the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you get somebody in your life that has been there and done that. And you can say to them, I see that person as somebody who, who is quiet and peaceful in the most difficult of circumstances and who has a love and a service for other people when those people are difficult. And that's who I want to mimic and then talk to them and ask God to create a relationship that will lead you to where you need to be and use that example. Remember, Paul says, we accomplish these things by being examples. We live it out. You don't have to think about being a leader. You don't have to think about being a leader. You just live and God makes you into a leader. You live examples, and God makes you into the leader that he wants you. You don't have to pursue it. You don't have to, you live it. And God will point you out and say, hey, here's somebody. God will use you. We need somebody in our lives. Everybody needs somebody who is proven to know how to get through the difficult times. Find that person and follow. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord God, for people that you've put around us. Forgive us, Lord, for not taking advantage of the mentors that you've given us, those who can guide and direct us and can um, point us in the right direction with difficult people and difficult circumstances. Um, help us, Lord God, to do what you want us to do. And um, we just thank you and praise you for the opportunity to be here this morning. May your word be rich and full. May it lead us in the right direction. In Christ's name, amen. All right, um, Lord bless you. You're dismissed.